All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Ryan Humphreys. And welcome to Thursday's episode. I think this is what, third week we've been doing this now? I think so, yeah. Something like that. Right on. So, in the last episode on Monday, we, uh, we covered a lot of wintertime activities, uh, things people can get out and do. And we alluded to a snow machine episode yeah. um, no. because right. a snow machine is something you, a lot of people want to mm -hmm. use to do the things right. that we talk right. about, whether it's trapping, predator hunting, ice fishing even. There's a lot of ponds you can get to. Yeah. Um, so we're going to dive into some of that, what to use, what to look at, mm -hmm. um, and how to ride. Kind of doing a, uh, we hit, I think the first episode you and I did alone was called Backcountry Mechanic. Yeah, if, if not the first, it was one of the first. Yeah, it was one of the first ones you and I had done alone. So I figure we do a backcountry mechanic snow edition. edition. Winter edition. All right. But uh, before we dive too far into that, again, this is a very educational-based show. We try yeah. to get you guys the best information we can, tell a couple stories along the way, and have a good time. But if you guys are curious about anything, you have any questions, make sure you're uh, reaching out to us on either on our social medias. Uh, if you search at The Northern Hunter on Facebook or Instagram, or if you go to our website, thenorthernhunter.com, there's a contact us button there. That'll get you an email to us. Um, while you're there, we have a nice shop page, has some merch, really helps us out if you uh, rep some merch, both with uh, spreading the name and uh, with a little bit of financial support. And we also have a partners page where a lot of great companies with great gear uh, we'll talk about during the show have uh, agreed to sponsor us and partner with us. We have our discount codes labeled below each link. So when you go to shop, if you use that discount code, really helps us get you a pretty substantial discount on a lot of those mm -hmm. and uh, really uh, lets us grow and kind of make more content and help you guys out as much as we can. So we appreciate all the help from you guys, all the support. And uh, as always, make sure you're subscribing to the show if you like what we're doing, right. sharing it with your friends, uh, giving us a review. Uh, all of that really helps the algorithm and helps us reach as many people as possible. Um, and kind of on that note of people contacting us, we've actually gotten a lot of really pop feedback about this whole two-episode thing. Yeah. Uh, people seem to like it. So thank you guys to everybody that's reached out and told us how you feel about it. Um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll definitely keep doing this if it is a better platform for you guys to listen and learn from. So, um, so as far as getting out in the wintertime, um, just, we're just going to dive right into this one here. 
um, there are a ton of different options when somebody's looking at snow machines. Yeah. Um, and we might even touch on snow shoes too, because we covered that a little bit in the last one. But snow machines are a lot more efficient to get out there time wise. They sure are. <laughs> um, it cuts the time of your travel down a lot. Um, and it's a lot more fun, I would say, too, than snowshoeing. I, I don't mind snowshoeing. Right. Um, but there's it, snow machines, a lot more fun. Saying that it, walking in the winter in the snow with or without snowshoes is mm. kind of a uh, embrace the suck situation. It is. It really is. Now, <laughs> if you have better snowshoes, like, yeah. like mine, um, I've got oversized ones because when I went to get mine, I was anticipating uh, future needs, right? Mm-hmm. So I took my body weight. I added what my pack weight would be. Um, right. If I was successful on a hunt or something like that, whether it be early spring bear, when I'm, if I'm trying to pop dens mm-hmm. or, or if I'm packing back a bunch of animals that I got on a trap line, um, I wanted to be able to support that weight. And so I got snowshoes that were oversized for my normal body weight. Um, so I float really well on those. And, and I, I can walk over some pretty, pretty deep berms mm-hmm. pretty easily. Um, but still, there's always soft patches. There's always areas you break through, even right. with snowshoes on. You're trying to unbury your, your foot or you got to take your bindings off and, and un, undig those. Mm-hmm. Get back on top of the snow. It's, it, yeah, embrace the suck is a really good way to say that. <laughs> you know, even if you're stomping down a packed snow machine trail in your bunny boots. That's almost worse. You want to know why? Because that is packed down specifically on the snow machine and the second you wander off of it, well, I just sometimes mean, you don't realize how deep if, it is around that. Even if you're not wandering off of it, like bunny mm-hmm. boots are heavy and they're big. They are. They're usually slick on the bottom just because mm-hmm. they're not designed for, you know, they're not designed to walk on ice with. They're designed for snow. Yeah. Um, yep. And I don't know, I, I, I haven't have very little time on snow, snowshoes. Mm-hmm. I have more time than I could count on snowmobiles <laughs> or snow machines or sleds as we call them. Yeah. For, for everybody in the lower 48 listening, Alaskans call snowmobiles snow machines or, or, or sleds. sleds um, yeah. Those are the two most common things. So you're, that's what you're going to hear us referring to the mask. Right. So consider that the, the one-time glossary. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so um, we talked about a lot of different, different options for outdoor stuff yeah. on Monday. Um, trapping, predator hunting, caribou hunting, mm-hmm. um, all of which access with a snow machine is made so much easier. It is. So yeah. much faster, so much more efficient. Um, allows you to cover a lot more ground. Right. Um, but there's a lot of different uses for snow machines. Uh, a lot of people will get specialized ones for going and just cutting up a mountainside, mm-hmm. right? And just riding up and down and, and playing in the powder. Right. Um, other guys get ones that are specifically more for like trails yep. and, and riding slower. Mm-hmm. Um, so... What are, so if somebody is looking for a machine to get out and do some of the things we talked about, yeah. in your experience, having grown up doing this, mm-hmm. what is like the features they should look for in a machine? Well, there's three primary types of machines. Mm-hmm. You've got your mountain sleds, like you talked about, okay? mm-hmm. in the, and you know, in like the mountain of mountain sleds is probably the, the length. Right, they're yeah. new, new, new by BR, BRP, just a few years old now, and they're I think they're like thirty grand or something insane. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure they're sweet to ride, and you can use those mountain sleds for trapping and hunting, but they don't work real well because they've got small seats. They're not designed to carry weight. They're designed right. to be super light, 
you and the machine and you race around the powder and have fun, mm-hmm. which is great. If you want to do that, you can do that. Yeah. Then you've got your trail running sleds, kind of like you're talking about. You know, you got a lot of your wide tracks mm-hmm. in there. You've got your, like your, your, uh, most of your older sleds, a, a majority of those weren't designed for powder. They were designed right. for, 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 for trail mm-hmm. or for flat running. Um, and you know, so like, you know, I, I grew up riding a lot of early 2000s machines, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Tundra, uh, not, uh, Skidoo Scandic or, or Skidoo or, or, uh, Polaris, Polaris Indy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you've got my favorite now, you know, and on that, you've also got like the today still, there's still some companies that make trail only or trail designed sleds. Like you got your, uh, your Skidoo Tundras, right? Yep. And you got some Polaris Indies and stuff that are designed for trails, though most of them are a lot more capable in powder than trail sleds used to be. They've got a yeah. little bit bigger tracks. They've got more power immediately available. You know, I've seen a lot of those. They just uh, designed to float a lot better in some of the remote areas that I, I work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, last winter, um, I, I got to witness a lot of those new ones. And, you know, people be gracious enough to come pick us up from, right. from the airport and stuff like that, and give us rides. And it's uh, it's always fun to see what what they're using out there. <laughs> but there's another kind of sled that has that that is relatively somewhat new on the on the thing, and that's a crossover. Okay, and it's a sled designed to do what you need it to do. Gotcha. While it can run trail good, you can use it to trap. You can also hit the mountains with it. It's like a hybrid between the two. Kind of, yeah. Okay, and typically, yeah. those kinds of sleds, they, they have some lighter models. Mm-hmm. So you take the, my dad has a Tundra Extreme, okay? Okay. Which is, it, it's, it looks a lot more like a mountain sled. It's, you know, the tail of it sits higher. It's got a longer track. It's got bigger lugs on the track. Mm-hmm. Got a lot more power. But because it sits up taller, you know, the skis are a little closer together than a typical Tundra. Mm-hmm. And so it tips over a lot easier than like a regular old Tundra with a 550 fan in it. Right. Granted, it's got a, like a, I think, I can't remember what his has it, an 800 E-Tech or something like that, which is a sweet motor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it, you could, you could hit the mountains with that thing all day long, but you can also run it on a trap line. It's got enough base and design to put weight on it still. Okay, yeah. Right? Now, he's tipped it over just turning it around in the trail. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so, because it's, it's, it's that crossover. Now, mm-hmm. the crossovers that I like are more towards, now that's a lot of fun to ride and I would be fine owning a sled like that. Be better what I got now, which is nothing. Um, <laughs> but the ones I really like are more the, so to, traditionally that like the Scandic and the wide track, which are, you got your, you know, your Polaris, um, uh, what's that one called? The Expedition, mm-hmm. right? Or you got your uh, Skidoo wide track, which is the, the um, what's the Skidoo one called? I don't remember what it's called now, but... I don't actually remember either. Which is weird that I don't remember that now. Should we look that up? Yeah, go ahead and look that up. <laughs> um, usually I'm the one looking stuff up, but <laughs> go for it, James. Um, you get to talk more in this one. Right. So the Sk- uh, Scandic and the Skidoo wide track, you know, an almost ultra wide track now, you know, 20, 20 inch plus wide track. And they're not just wide, they're long. And they're big, heavy machines. Mm-hmm. But the new ones, the newer ones, I'm talking the past five or six years, um, a lot of these are designed to float. Yeah. They're designed, when I say float, so, so the Scandics a lot of times will have a wide track, but not always. Um, and when I say float, I mean, they're designed to, to just kind of sit on top of the powder. And I've talked to people that owned like a Polaris Expedition. Mm-hmm. And they had one. I wanted to buy it. They were making, they would have made me a great deal on it, but I could not afford it. Um, but 
they said that, you know, they had an older um, Polaris mountain sled. Okay. And I actually uh, ended up getting that one from them uh, at one point and riding it for, for a winter. And, and it, was, it was like a 90s, early 90s, one of the first fuel-injected sleds ever made. And it was a sweet machine. I loved it. Mm. Um, for what it was, it wasn't really what I was looking for, and I needed the money more, so I sold it. Right. But you could race around, hit powder with it just fine. You know, and that was an older, heavier sled, but it was fast, but mm-hmm. I couldn't carry weight. You know, it was me and my backpack and that right. was about it and not a heavy pack either. Yeah. A heavy pack and ride a machine. <laughs> if you try to start throwing that weight around, you're going to fall off. If you've, yeah. if you've got 60 pounds back there, that's a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, they said, well, we've got this mountain sled. It's an older mountain sled, but it gets stuck way easier than their new wide track did. Mm. And because of the way they're designed to float. And I've watched, see, talk to guys that say, older guys who like the wide tracks, even in the mountains. Yeah. Because they can ride them up into the powder. Because mm-hmm. of the way they're designed, they've got the power now to turn that big track fast. Mm. And they can ride, and they're actually a lot easier to ride. They don't turn over easy. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, you can't go doing the flips and the jumps and all that kind of stuff, but that's not what they're designed for. But they can get up in the powder when they need to. Right. And where that really comes in is when you get into some of these wintertime caribou hunts, mm. or we talked last episode, we mentioned, uh, you know, what would be the possibility, I said, of take, renting oh, a state yeah. cabin and, and, and like fishing some burbot lines on a lake. Right, Or, yeah. you know, just doing some ice fishing on a lake and then in the meantime, mm-hmm. also doing some predator calling or something like that. Right. And maybe if you're in the right area, you can do some caribou hunting too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just, just get it all the winter stuff in this package. A winter safari. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of that kind of area you're going to be in, you're, you're, gonna, you're probably going to find a lot of drifted snow, but also powdery snow. Mm-hmm. And you could take that traditional trail sled and as long as you stay on trails... You're fine. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get off the trails and into that powder, you can start to be in trouble. As okay, soon as you yeah. need to haul weight and you need to get it up off of a hill, like yep. it can start to be a completely different game. Yeah. And what you're dealing with. And, you know, my dad had a um, Polaris like GTX or something like that mm-hmm. with a 550 fan, which is a tradition, which is a little bit of an older motor now, but it's kind of the motor that runs forever. Doesn't get good fuel mileage, but it runs forever. <laughs> it's gotcha. great, reliable motor. But that machine just didn't, it, it couldn't run the powder very well. It was a good trail sled, mm-hmm. right? And so what I've, what I've found is a good crossover, the heavy crossovers. Now, they also, without going to the extreme mountain stuff, mm-hmm. the most expensive sled you're going to find is the, it, w- did you find that, what that one was called? I, I think the, so they have the Scandic, Scandic which yeah. is a wide track. Yes. And then they have the super wide track, which is the bigger version than that. There, there used um, to be anyway. And that's what I'm finding on here. Um, cause I, I haven't really looked at the skidoo okay. side of things. Um, I'm still in the market for mm-hmm. one personally myself because, you know, I, I think as you were about to go into it with how expensive these things are. Right. I mean, it, it is, it is definitely an investment Usually that you make. about 20 grand for, for the wide tracks. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it is, exp- and I, I find it a little ridiculous that off-road, mm-hmm. you know, one to two man vehicles are costing a, you know the same mm-hmm. as you know actual legitimate roadworthy cars these days okay, it so kind of seems a little little odd to me but realistically it's not any more expensive than you're going to pay for a brand new four-wheeler especially not like a side-by-side something like that yeah. it, it's going to be a a little bit more just because there's more to a snow machine i feel mm-hmm. but um ultimately everything these days is kind of in the same price point so i made a big mistake did you i did 
It's not the Polaris expedition. It's the Skidoo expedition. Ah, okay. And I don't see it specifically here, but it's I'm sure it's on their website. Um, or if you go into um, what's the Canam dealer? Uh, uh, comp compost. Compost. Yeah. yeah compost. <laughs> I was going to say Delta Power Sports. <laughs> oh, Delta Power Sports. <laughs> yeah. uh, Compos, you go in there, I'm sure they can sell one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if they have them, usually this time of year is not the time to look at buying a new one. <laughs> uh, they're sold out a lot of the time, but right. the Expedition Extreme is the specific one I'm thinking of. Okay. High performance, 20-inch wide track, um, and you know it's considered a crossover, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, you're taking some of the, like the, you know, they've got the Expedition SE. The new expeditions are pretty phenomenal. Some of the older ones, some of the earlier expeditions, like the, uh, I would say the late 2010s. Okay. Those ones were mid to late 2010s. Those ones were, those ones, they had a lot of issues. Like they get stuck easy when they get stuck. They're really hard to get out. Right. And I've talked to people with these newer ones and they're a lot better. Granted, they're a lot more money, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, although it looks like the prices are not as bad as they used to be. Like I said, 20 grand. Well, it looks like the Expedition Extreme right now, base price, 16 grand. Okay. Which isn't really yeah. bad. That's with the 850 E-Tech, or you can get the, uh, you know, 900 Ace. Um, that's another thing, motor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got your four-stroke and your two-stroke. Yep. I highly recommend the two-stroke. Okay. The four-stroke can be very gutless in high-torque situations. Gotcha. Kind of like know. a diesel in a gas so, truck. So when you need it, it might not be there. <laughs> right. Here's a great example. I, I was out today for work. I was picking up a bunch of lumber. Mm-hmm. Okay. A bunch of LVLs. We like bought spinards out of LVLs. Okay. <laughs> Sorry if you need some LVLs, but that's why you can't find any um, if you're in Fairbanks here. But uh, I had a gooseneck. Uh, we have a, 50, a Dodge 5500, but okay. it's a gas motor. Gotcha. With a flatbed. And um, I hooked up to a gooseneck, and I had a gooseneck that had roughly 17,000 pounds on it. Mm-hmm. I have a pickup truck that's a 3,500, my personal truck, and I guarantee my personal truck would have hauled mm-hmm. 17,000 pounds much better. It would have yep. more power. Yep. You, know, you put your foot into it, and you can just feel it pick up and go. That gas 5,500 was like everything, it, everything it had to pick up speed. <laughs> no kidding. Right. It was just, I didn't have very far. It wasn't that big of a deal and it is designed to do it. Right. Yeah. You know, but it th- same thing goes with a four stroke, mm-hmm. especially when you need some torque to get out of a hole before you get stuck. Mm-hmm. The four strokes don't have that. Okay. Like that 900 ACE, I've ridden them. They are nice, but an 850 E-Tech will far outperform that. Gotcha. Uh, it's going to be hotter, faster throttle response, and it's going to have a lot more lo- lot more torque when you need it. Mm-hmm. Same goes for, you know, a mountain sled and stuff too. Um, but yeah. The Skidoo Expedition and the Tundra, yeah, the Skidoo Ex- Expedition and the Polaris, I don't know, I have to look up what the Polaris one is now. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have any more questions about those well, specifically. I, I was going to say, I- I've... I have a bit of experience on on snow machines, and I think one thing when when you mentioned they're tippy, yeah. Um, if you've never ridden one before, riding snow machines is is a very unique experience. But the closest thing I'll say it reaches it, it connects to is almost like a jet ski, the way it feels, okay. I mean, the, the way you're you're kind of just rolling back and forth. But it, it's I say that loosely because it, it's very much its own thing. I'm a diehard uh, Fairbanks, Alaska boy who's never ridden a jet ski. So. Really? <laughs> Not even locally? No. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that would be 
who would go ride a jet ski and come back and tell my friends about how riding a jet ski. Closest thing I can compare it to is a snow machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and, and it's, it's not super similar, but just the way you feel like you're floating, I mm-hmm. would say, which is kind of, um, it's really odd for when you first get going because right. I don't think it's, it doesn't feel like anything else I've done at least. Um, but I will say, I've noticed the ones we have for work are, are the, the hybrids model. I'm, I'm struggling to remember the exact model of them right now, but they're, they're not mountain sleds, but they're, they sit a little higher. Um, not as high as like a, a traditional mountain sled ride? would. They're a Polaris something. Oh, are they Polaris? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so this is the Polaris Adventure. That's what I was thinking about. That's why I got the Expedition Adventure. Okay. The Polaris Titan Adventure, or it might be Titan. Um, um, that's the ones I was thinking about. That's like the equivalent somewhat mm-hmm. to the, you know, and each is going to have a plus or a minus. Actually, the reason that the Skidoot um, uh, Expedition Extreme exists mm-hmm. is because of the Polaris Adventure. Because Polaris came out and it beat what they had okay. in yeah. the Expedition. Yep. And so they came out with one to kind of match the performance Gotcha. do what the players one did. Like they came out of the year and next year, boom, now Skidoo's trying to match, you know, compete, right? Right. Um, so to, for me, that, I don't have one, but that's the mm-hmm. sled I want for what I would want to do. Like it, it's big, it's heavy, but it can do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you get on here and start looking out there, showing you winch attachments and all this kind of stuff where when you do have to get it out, you know, they, they've got, all of them got integrated um, right. GPSs and stuff you can get in them. Um, the other kind of machine you would be looking for for the kind of stuff we're talking about would be like a Tundra. Yeah. You know, or, you know, they've got several different Tundra type crossovers, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, looking specifically at the crossovers or some of the utility sleds, like I said, a lot of the utility sleds today far outdo right. what the utilities or just regular sleds of a few years ago could do. Right. And, and that's kind of what I was, I was going to say is like, for what we're doing with them, we just have them to get to some, some, sites that are a little ways off the road system but mm-hmm. not crazy far um and we're able to just snow machine into them right. essentially um for doing some work and we you know we'll pull our tools up with us if we need them or whatever you have the indie? um polaris indies i think that might be it actually that, that's yeah. a pretty common like but i i have noticed with those ones in particular when you're in tighter trail situations they mm-hmm. do get real tippy if you're not up what i would essentially call on step um, it, it feels almost exactly the same, you know, when you're, you have to keep up a little bit of speed and I, I have definitely rolled those ones in situations. I wouldn't have rolled a, uh, let's say a Tundra or something like okay. that. Um, a, a lower sitting machine yeah. that's not quite, not quite as tippy. Um, so one thing to keep in mind when you're, when you're getting out there is depending on some of these machines are designed like you said, for flotation at mm-hmm. speed, you know, so you kind of have to keep your, keep your right. speed up a little bit to, to sit on top of the snow there. Yeah. I really like the, either the, uh, Skidoo Expedition, Scandic, mm-hmm. or the, the Polaris Titan. Gotcha. Um, it's the Titan Adventure. Okay. <laughs> all these names and stuff. There's a lot of different it's, names. It's in been the a few years since I've researched all these. It looks like Polaris has a new one called the Voyager. Ooh. Um, I, I think I've heard about that one. And uh, it looks like they pr- pretty much standard comes with the 550. Okay. Um, 
And I'm not sure, you know, what this replaced or what exactly it did. They've got like, you know, the adventure, I think, is kind of their, the adventure, that's like the, uh, that's like the Skidoo Extreme line. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's the, it's got all the best stuff. It's got the heated seats and, you know, super, you know, the Fox shocks and all the fancy stuff. Right, right. right. But I mean, the Voyager looks pretty sweet. It looks like it's designed to do a lot of what the other stuff is. It's not maybe quite as big and heavy, maybe designed for longer rides. Okay. Um. Says it's got a Liberty 550 uh, fan, so mm-hmm. it's a, that's that's probably just you know a new take on the 550 fan that I was talking about, which is an extremely reliable running motor. Yeah, but. perfect. Well, I've got a couple more questions. Let's take okay. a real quick break though before I get into those. All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. So one thing similar between, let's say, a a four-wheeler and a snow machine is the way that they size the motors, right? But how does that compare in performance, right? You're looking at a a, Mm -hmm. a, a wheeler, and you're going to see a 500, a 750, a 1,000, things like that. And you kind of know, like, okay, the 500 will get me in and out, do most of what I need to do, Mm -hmm. might have some limitations. The 750 is really good all around. You know, I'll be able to pull trailers up hills and things like that. 1,000 is little overkill unless you're hauling a lot or right. you know, doing some really crazy stuff. Mudding for fun. Mudding for fun yeah. and stuff like that. How does that play out in, in snow machines? It's, it's very similar. Okay. Um, you know, the 800, 850 E-Tech, mm-hmm. even the 600 E-Tech, which actually I think that might be the one my dad has is the 600 E-Tech. Mm-hmm. Those are great two-stroke motors. They okay. run well. They run efficiently. They've got a lot of power. They've got a lot of power immediately. Your 550 fan is more like your ATV with okay. a 500 in it. Right. It's it's a workhorse that's going to last a long time mm-hmm. and pretty much do everything you need it to do. Not going to do it as fast. Right. Or with as much pep. Right. Mm-hmm. You jump on a uh, five. Any you pick pick ATV that's a 500. Mm-hmm. Jump on it. Hit the gas. Most of them are going to respond about the same. There's going to be a little bit of lag. Yeah. Pick an ATV that's a 700 or a 750. Right. You jump on it, you hit the gas. So the time you're going to stand that thing up and you're going to be laying on the ground looking up at the wheeler as it stands around its back rack. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, if you're not prepared. <laughs> exactly. And it's similar with sleds, although a lot of the, the difference is, it, it's, I think it's a little bit bigger of an issue with a machine. Okay. If all you're doing is running trails, if you're running in, breaking a trail at the beginning of winter for mm-hmm. your trap line, and that's what you do, and when you run, you know, you might make another trail or something, but you're not dealing with mountains or a lot of deep powder. Right. Then something that's designed for trails 
will last you fine. Something with a 550 fan will be awesome and it will last a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, the bigger ones, you know, in sleds, you're gonna typically going to see, like a, like I said, like it. You know, you got your 600 E-Tech, your 800 E-Tech, your 850 E-Tech, your 850 E-Tech Turbo. Yeah, right. right. Um, which is just insane. And that's usually what you see in your mountain sleds. This is the thing with those motors, though. They don't last very long. Mm-hmm. They they blow up because they run at extremely high RPMs. Yeah, I was going to say, they're meant for, for a good time, not for a long time. Yeah. And <laughs> and it's not necessary. That doesn't necessarily correlate over to wheelers. A lot of those 700s last a long oh, yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Right? My, yeah. my 750... And my brute force, mm-hmm. it's got 5,000 miles on it. And the motor is still running just as strong. Yeah. Right? Yep. With a sled, depending on how you ride it, I would prefer personally a 600 or 800 E-Tech. Okay. Specifically because if I end up in a situation with powder, if I'm riding in somewhere, you know, into the mountains where I'm doing some hunting, mm-hmm. you know, where I need to ha- where I have power right away, when I need it to get out of a hole, to get up a hill, yep. to pull some weight. You know, although the 550 should do fine, like mm-hmm. with a new, like with a wheeler, that's kind of where that comes in. Your 900 Ace is a little laggy too. Mm. Like I said, it's a little gutless. It doesn't really equivocate like oh 900. Well, that must be better than the 800. Mm. It doesn't equivocate like that. It doesn't have the power the 800 E Tech does. Gotcha. What it is is a quieter, and it does not smell like a two stroke. Okay. Okay. Yep. Personally, the two stroke. Snow machine, snow machine sm- smell, mm-hmm. like that, like brings me back to my childhood. I love it. Okay? <laughs> right. The yeah, that um, that nine hundred Ace doesn't smell like that. It's very clean smelling, mm-hmm. right? Because it's four stroke. It doesn't take the two stroke oil that you have to add to it, right? Yeah. So that's the biggest difference with all with you know your standard. Obviously, there's all kinds of different motors, different companies, and everything, but those are the standard sizes. Right. Okay. So yeah, if you're just trying to get out and have like a strictly utility kind of thing, like yeah. you don't have to get the crazy, no. crazy high powered anything. Just if I would recommend the 550 fan for that. Yeah. Yep. Now, what about let's say? So if that's for trapping, let's say for caribou hunting, if you're looking for a good sled for caribou hunting. Because I think that's more likely where you'll end up having, like you would said, haul weight going and like up in going like uphill yeah. in powder. You know, if you shoot a, a caribou down mm-hmm. down below you somewhere, and you've got to get that thing back up right. to the road. You know, is that that's more where the, those more hybrid models come in a little bit more? That's CCs. where those things really shine. Yeah. Um, as long as you don't get yourself in a situation where you're going to bury yourself, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about being stuck and not yeah. getting stuck later on. <laughs> yep. Um, and you know, it, so much of it has to do with the machine itself and the way it's designed. Mm-hmm. You can take the same motor and put it in a different design sled, and it's going to respond differently. Yeah. Right? Um, the 550 fan in some of these newer machines probably responds a lot better mm-hmm. than it did in some of the older, like the GTX, like I talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it will probably do what you need, and it may have the get-up-and-go you need, but it's not going to be, you know, but but... At the same time, that 550 is going to match the sled it's in. Gotcha. Right? Yep. That 800 is also going to match the sled it's in. You're going to yeah. have a wider, bigger track under that 800 mm-hmm. that you need to get out of there. Right. You to know, grab without, that track without burying yourself. Right. Because that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, that's, I think that's how that goes. I mean, if you're running 40-mile herd mm-hmm. and you just hunt up, say, around Eagle Summit. Yeah. Right? And it, most of the time, that's also windblown. Yeah. Just ride right on top you of it. You can ride right on top of it. And as long as you don't drop into the bottoms, mm-hmm. honestly, the care 
don't end up down there a lot anyway. And if they do, you don't want to go down there after it. Um, (laughs) Most of the time. There's stories every year though. (laughs) There are. There are. Most of the time that 550 is all you're going to ever need. You have to be a little more cautious, Mm -hmm. but you've got a cheaper sled. Yep. It's reliable. Like I said, that motor's probably going to last a lot longer. Which, and that, and that's honestly what I think is one of the most important features is just a long lasting motor, something Mm -hmm. that's reliable. Right. That's going to get you in and out almost guaranteed. Yeah. You know, because. Now I'm I'm I I will be surprised if I don't get a bunch of pushback on all the kinds of things I've said. <laughs> well, that's your opinion, or whatever you know, and that may be true, it, and who knows? It is true. It it is I an am, opinion. But. I am trying to generalize the knowledge and um, uh, experience that I have, right? Without, you know, I'm trying to just say say things that you know, trying to make it easy to understand. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I'm not specifically familiar with them. I know there is. You know, because our podcast is geared a lot towards people coming up here. Mm-hmm. There are rental, there is rental machines and stuff available. Yeah. I'm not real familiar with who does that and what. And, yep. you know, there's ATV tours you can go on in the summertime, right? But mm-hmm. they, you know, they might give you the keys to ATV, but they're going to say, okay, here's the trail system. Here's your map. This is where you ride. Yeah. Right. And you don't leave that. It's not, <laughs> it's not, oh, here, load it up on your truck. See you later. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure those do exist. But you're probably going to want to set that stuff up ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's a couple companies in town that do that. But um, yeah, it, it's it's not cheap for one. But um, mm-hmm. the other thing is, you know, when they're renting stuff out to people that don't know, right? potentially don't know what they're doing, that could be a pretty hefty liability for, for that company, for their, their investment, their not, assets right, right. and stuff like that. So not to mention, it's real easy to burn up a belt, yep. you know, because snow machines are all belt driven. Yeah really easy to burn up a belt Mm -hmm. you know and a belt isn't expensive but when they got to come rescue you because you burned (laughs) a belt up exactly right yeah or try to replace it while it's stuck because you burned it up because you were stuck because that's that's when it happens the most exactly well let's get into a little bit of that writing stuff um we've talked a bit about the kinds of machines there Mm -hmm. are and the different different features each one has um for a new writer if you're if you're explaining how to ride yeah. for somebody that's just getting into it. We'll, we'll start baby fresh on this one. Um, because as I'd kind of told in the story before, you know, it, it's a, it's a lot more of a floating feeling yeah. than, than someone might expect. You know, right. you're not riding, you're riding on top of the snow, but it's not like a solid pack trail. Right. It's right. not like a wheeler. It's not, you don't feel any of that. You've really got to keep your weight balanced properly, throw mm-hmm. yourself around. Um, so go into a little bit of that as far as like the brand new rider getting into it. Okay. Well, what I would recommend if you're a brand new rider mm-hmm. um, or if you've got some people coming up, you're going to take out on sleds. Mm-hmm. Before you hit the trail hard or you, you know, and trails aren't one thing, but before you hit the mountains or whatever, find a field, find a lake. Usually Yo. they're covered in snow machine tracks and hard. <laughs> but Get them out there. Let them ride around for an hour or two. Mm-hmm. Or you get out there if you're the new guy and ride around for an hour or two. Maybe if you could just go buy a sled, right? You know, yep. there's a lot of GIs that listen to this podcast. Maybe they get up here, they go buy a sled. Yep. Uh, find some lakes. Find some pl- before you hit the mountains with your buddies, and none of you have any idea what you're doing. Yeah. And, and no offense, but that's no that happens is, a lot. Right? Yeah. And it's a very different ride than what somebody might be used to. Right. Right. It, get hit. Grab that sled. Go find some. Some simple trails around Fairbanks and North Pole are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Find some lakes, find, you know, that you can race around on, find a field and just drive it 
straight, fast, and then turn and learn how to turn. Because yeah. when you say it's like a floating feeling, when you're turning to the left, you need to lean into that turn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And sometimes a lot harder than you might think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you just throw everything into it a <laughs> yeah. lot of the time, especially like you might just be leaning over. And a lot of them you'll notice have a strap in between the uh, handlebars. Mm-hmm. That is there for you to grab so you can lean over. Yeah. They call it a, uh, what do they call that? Well, there's a name for it. I know I'm not allowed to say on the show. Oh, <laughs> no, there's a, I've heard it referred to like a mountain, like side hill. Oh, strap. gotcha. Yeah. Because a lot of guys will like grab that so they can lean over when they're side hill and to keep their machine upright while they're running on the side of a hill mm-hmm. in the snow, in the, yeah. in the powder. Um, but yeah, that's the best thing to do is to find those areas where you're close to civil, you're close to hard pack. You can mm-hmm. ride around. You can ride in circles. Find some hills right up and down. Find right into some powder. Figure out what that how that machine responds. Stop yeah. in the powder. Hit the gas in the powder. Yep. Okay. And uh, you got to lean into your turns, like I said. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you know, you got to lean uphill. Yeah. Right. If you're coming up, if you're riding in powder and you come up on a little rise and you're dropping down, you might need to accelerate before you hit that rise. If you mm-hmm. slow down as you hit that rise, you might just find yourself getting buried. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of this is going to have to do in the age of, you know, you, you come up here, you know, and, 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 uh, GIs aren't known for their money, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> going, Tell me about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Going and buying a new sled, mm-hmm. while well, a lot of them might do it, you know, get, because there's payment plans and stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of them are just going to go buy something used. Right. You find something a little older, some of these older trail sleds, mm-hmm. they're very capable. Yeah. I rode one from when I was like 12 to 20. I don't know, you know, like mm-hmm. an old Polaris Indy 400. You're like 2000. Yeah. Right? Um, I put, I have no idea how many miles on that thing. Yeah. And you could ride it in the powder, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. But you never stopped yeah. in the loose powder until you were flat and upright. Mm-hmm. Because if you stopped, it was going to be hard to get moving again. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it, it's funny when, when you say, I don't know if a lot of people realize, like, and, and I'm sure it's way different now. I've been out of the military for over 10 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first got stationed here, though, and I think uh I'm trying to remember the exact number, but I want to say an E three only made like eighteen hundred bucks a month or something like that. Yeah, like it was insanely low. Like now again, you know they they did cover our our housing and right. you get to eat at the DFAC, and so there's all these features where it's like okay, we're going to provide you this, but right. you know, but the, you know, so a lot of younger younger military people that come up here haven't had a chance to save a ton of money beforehand. You know, buying a, a older snow machine. I mean, mm-hmm. you can find those older Tundras for, I mean, I guess the prices are going up now a little bit because people are catching on, but you, you I mean, can, you can realistically get into something feasible for a couple grand, few grand. You I can mean, buy something. Yeah. I mean, you can get into an older, like a 90 sled mm-hmm. for a one to two grand or less. Yeah. And it might need some work. But well, and, and a lot of times though, those sleds ran forever. Right. Like, usually when they need work, it's not much. Mm-hmm. The issue you have with those is it, it's, it, there is so much more skill to riding that than to riding these new ones. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? And, like, and I say that because that's what I rode for a long time. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And I get on these new ones and it's like a completely different experience. Oh, right, yeah. And N- Newer technology and suspension. Right, and right. Everything. Yeah. Those old ones were, you know, I mean, it, it was, <laughs> it's like, it's just a feel. Yeah. And, 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 and that all exists with the new ones too, especially, I'm sure, when you, I haven't done hardly any like mountain riding. Mm-hmm. I'm not even hardly going to touch on it. Yeah. Right? Because I just haven't done a lot of it. Yep. There's a lot of videos, a lot of guys that go out and do it. If you're going to do that, find somebody who's willing to take you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and, and go figure it out and have fun. But don't go buy an old Polaris Indy 400 and try to take it on. Right? That's all I got to <laughs> right. say, right? Well, and, and I like what you were saying there because taking a, uh, whatever machine you, mm-hmm. you end up getting, whether it's rented or purchased, right. taking it out and getting real world experience in a yeah. low risk environment is, is invaluable. You know, that is, if you, if you find, like you said, a lake, a field, anything like mm-hmm. that, even a small trail around town, um, there's, or there's a lot of them that you can ride on mm-hmm. and it'll really teach you a good feel for it. Cause mm-hmm. I, I can guarantee you, you're going to tip that thing several times before you figure out exactly how to lean your body over exactly how far you've got to mm-hmm. lean your body. You're going to cut a corner too tight. You're going to, you know, um, th- there's going to be instances where you're, you're just going to overshoot. Right. And to do that in a, more controlled environment is a lot better than getting miles back somewhere yeah. and then having to get stuck and possibly by yourself. And, um, so I, I, I like that a lot. Um, uh, well, little caution on that mm-hmm. because I brought it all up. I, uh, and some of the things <laughs> I said, I want I want to make a caution on that because I was, I don't know how old I was. I was a teenager riding mm-hmm. one of those players, Indy 400s. Those things don't tip easy. Those are big, yeah. heavy machines. They don't yep. tip unless you're like side hilling. Yep. Or uh, you do what I did. (laughs) (laughs) I was racing across the lake Mm -hmm. and I had figured something out where I would like race across the lake and I'd kind of like a little stunt trying to be do whatever stupidness. Mm -hmm. And um, I would like, like 50 miles an hour, like 60 was max for those things. Um, 50 miles an hour and then like hit the handlebars hard, turn tight and like get that thing just spraying snow out the back. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that works real good, especially in loose powder. But I did it, and I happened, I hit a hard trail or something. Yep. I, that machine rolled like three times. Oh, yeah. It threw me off, and it went, rolled. Yeah. You know, side over side, you know, and it didn't, I think it broke the windshield, mm-hmm. right? But uh, that, it was a very potentially dangerous situation. Oh, yeah. So when I say ride fast and try to turn and stuff, I mean... Get a feel for it. Take it slow. Right. Like ride fast and start to turn, but don't just whip your handlebars because you're going to mm-hmm. do exactly what I did. Yep. And, and a lot of these newer sleds sit a lot higher and they tip over a lot easier. Like yeah, I already they do. mentioned. They do. So once somebody has their, you know, an idea for how it feels, mm-hmm. how to balance their body weight, throwing the weight back and forth from right. knee, leg to leg, knee to knee, and uh, getting the turns down and everything like that. There's a big difference in, uh, I guess you could say, the snow density out when you're trail riding, especially, I'll say that breaking trail, especially, mm-hmm. um, versus riding on like a controlled lake or something like that, where, right. where it's all a wide open field or something. Right. Um, whether it's, you know, how, how close you are to the trees or right. how much the sun's been hitting it. Like you had pointed out with hills, you know, if you hit a, if there's a little mound of snow in front of you, whether you ramp up to go up that or you slow down in front of it, could be the difference between whether you bury your skis or don't. Um, so what are like the terrain features you've mostly gotten stuck in or that are the most dangerous to look out for, for getting stuck? For getting stuck is when you're riding mm-hmm. and Typically, it's when you're trying to turn around in powder. Yeah. And you end up, what I've ended up doing a lot of times is riding off through the willows in the small spruce trees, trying to make a wider loop. Mm-hmm. That's not what I meant to do, but that's what <laughs> I ended up doing. Yeah. 
when you got your skis cranked all the way sideways right. and you're still going out right. into all well, that. And, and a lot of this comes back to these older machines and they were real easy to get stuck and a lot mm-hmm. of work to get out. Um, but I will say the number one place to get stuck is going to be like a dippy look and a real like dippy rolly area. And I okay, mean, yeah. um, to take a, uh, like a, like an area that's near swamp, mm-hmm. not necessarily in the swamp, but near it. And where you might have some areas of fields, of log cuts or something. And so there's stumps under the snow that you can't yeah. see. But even if the snow's deep enough and those don't how you don't have an issue with those. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you'll have like this real, like you'll have these like 12, 15 feet wide, like dips in the ground. And it's all, you know, natural from the where the water flowed at times. And it just kind of goes up and down and up and down. And they can be so hard you, to keep your momentum. Yeah. And, you know, and then you get and, and you end up getting stuck in the bottom of one and you got to dig yourself out and, you know, I, I don't, I have no desire to dig myself out of one of those again, <laughs> but you know, typically what yeah. I found with those, if there's a trail and mm-hmm. that's how you got there is get back to the trail and stay on that trail. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's how you don't get stuck in those situations. Yeah. Like I said, trying to turn around in those, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of machines that have reverse don't do well backing up in the yeah. snow. That's not how they're designed to work. Right. Um, they'll bury themselves trying mm-hmm. to back up. Yeah. I've had that happen. Or, you know, they have that snow flap on the back. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you'll back up, you'll start to hit some snow. That snow flap grab is grabbed by the track and it just pulls the tunnel down against the track into the snow. And, mm. then, and then you got to like pick up the back and get that back out from under there and back up again. And it's, yep. it's all stuff you're going to experience if you, if you get out riding. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, turning's a big one. Um, one way I've gotten stuck um, more than a couple times now is uh, in events where you end up having to stop when you're breaking a trail. Yeah. Um, and that early on kind of surprised me. You know, you would think you'd be pushing the weight down as you're going, but you're right. not. You know, that's just how the difference in how it works in reality versus the way it works in your mm-hmm. head. Um, and so if you end up having to stop for whatever reason, whether there's an obstacle in front of you mm-hmm. or you're following somebody and, and they get stuck and you've got to stop behind them. I've had it where I'm going just fine. On, on regular right. powder, you know, we're just going. And then the second you stop, you just sink well, and, and tip sideways sometimes. <laughs> like I've had it where I've thrown my entire body weight off to the other side and it still wasn't going to stop mm-hmm. it if you're not moving. Right. You know, well, if you're just dead weight. Mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. not stopping until you're straight and flat. Yeah. If you can help it. Yep. Even if you have to ride off to the side of whoever's in front of you, so you don't stop too hard. You slow down mm-hmm. and you stop on top of the snow. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're home free. No. Because it, if you jump on that machine and you hit the gas, mm-hmm. whether you start too fast or you start too slow, <laughs> that's a good way. I've, I've buried myself to bury that way yourself, too. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Trying to start too fast is, is definitely a right. good way to just- But too slow too. Too slow can be. Yeah. I, I've usually, when I've- Messed up. It's usually been on the side of too fast. Too fast like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to gun it out of there, thinking right. that'll dig in and grab something. It doesn't grab anything. <laughs> well, and, and a big a big thing up here is our pow- our snow and powder is so loose and powdery. Yeah, it doesn't hold together very well no. at all. Like, and for anybody that hasn't experienced Alaskan snow in the middle of winter, at least in the deep, deep cold, you can't even make a snowman out of it. It just doesn't hold together very I mean, well. You can't make a snowman like, most of the winter. Right. I was going to say until like close to breakup when right. it starts getting warm in the day and the sun's beating down on it. Like, I mean, it just, it just you hold it in your hand and it'll just sift right through your fingers. Right. Like there's no binding to well, it. And it's interesting. The way snow falls, it has a consistency 
mm-hmm. that you can walk on. Well, walk you through, you can ride over, and you could shovel a hole out the way it falls. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you disturb it, and it's it becomes like this, just loose. Like mm-hmm. it'd be like if you bury your sled in snow. Now you've disturbed all that snow, and now you're trying to dig it out. And what you're going to find is it's like trying to dig out a pit of sand. Yeah, it really it just is. keeps running back in. It does. It's not like that before it's disturbed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, now the great thing is once it's been disturbed, like when you ride over it and you mm-hmm. come back, it's now hard. It like, it hardens up in a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why that is. I haven't looked into the reasoning for that, mm-hmm. um, but it's really nice that it happens because that's yeah. the reason you can make a trail yeah. and then just keep riding it. And guess what? It, you don't get stuck because you've got a nice trail. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I have, so, so I have, I have on the list here, it says how to keep from getting stuck too bad. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of things we talked about is just there, you're going to find yourself somewhat stuck a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially getting in the mountain riding and depending on what you're doing and right. you get areas with trees and trying not to run into the trees and that making you get stuck. And, yep. um, but even, even when you're breaking trail or, or, or running a trap line or something like that, uh, trying to stay on top of the snow, mm. like I said, stopping when you're flat, straight, don't hit the brakes real hard because then you kind of slide, you, you, your track locks up and it kind of s- starts dragging the snow and kind of, um, mm-hmm. that, if that makes sense, yep. you'll kind of bury yourself a little bit as you stop. Yeah. Um, that's how to keep from getting stuck too bad. Now, next is, we, we said, you know, is, is how to get out. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how to get stuck. <laughs> I've talked about how to get out. Yeah. I will say the other, the one other way, the most, and this may be even more common than what we've talked about for getting stuck, is that it's a dip or a ditch. Yeah. That you have to ride through when you're breaking trail. Right. And you dro- you'll, you'll drop down in there. And a lot of times, you know, the way, the only way to get out is to gun it mm-hmm. on the way through and the way out. Yeah. But that can also be what buries you in the bottom of that hole. Yeah. If it's too steep on the other side, too short of a, too short of, right. a, of a curve in right. that ditch. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, that is, you're going to get stuck there. Usually when you're breaking you. the trail, you're going to. Yeah. Now, how do you get out? Now, the other one I've heard is tr- uh, tree wells. So those those oh, right. those holes beneath trees, mm-hmm. which it's it, exactly what you had said, is the way that the snow falls. You know, all that is is just the the snowfall doesn't reach below the trees near right. the tree trunk. And as you'd pointed out, it's like sand. You know, once it's disturbed, it just it just flows and falls in. And if mm-hmm. you ride too close to a tree, especially some of these these uh, spruce that we have up here, the big branches are the up big high, big branches right. and everything, and they're widespread. I mean, if you try to cut in between those things and you cut too close into the bows, I mean, you can just bury the back end of your wheeler or dive into them. And that's a hard thing to get out of too. But yeah, going, how do you get out of that? So, (laughs) well, uh, I recommend having some sort of shovel with you. Mm -hmm. You can buy like the, you know, they're real small and easy to put on a machine. I don't recommend them, but it's better than nothing. And it's a, uh, like a plastic uh, scoop with like cutouts for handles. And Mm. it's like flat. You can shove it in anywhere. Yep. And you got something with you. Yeah. Right. And you can just use your hands just like, so you can pull snow away. Cause that's what a lot of the times you're just pulling snow away from your machine. Absolutely. It's a lot better than just your hands. Um, but you can buy like a lightweight aluminum shovel that has an extendable handle that'll actually collapse into the blade of the shovel, mm-hmm. you know, a little snow shovel that you can throw in a box or a bag or however you're set up. So you have a way of digging yourself out. Yeah. 
That's huge. So if you're in that ditch, because that's kind of the worst. Yeah. The ditch or the dip, like I was talking about. Yep. Those are kind of the hardest places to get out. Or dropping through a creek. Mm-hmm. It's like that ditch too, Yeah. Right? Well, we'll get into some Especially of that Especially if you've got a bank to get up. Yeah. Um, even if you're not, you know, even if there's logs in the bottom, like, you know, where you're crossing a wheeler or something. Um, and so what, what happens, you know, you get down there and you get, you know, your snow machine's usually facing upright, up the bank, the direction you want it to go, but it's just spinning track. And if you're there by yourself, it really sucks. <laughs> right. It's not an impossible situation. Yeah. The first thing you need to do is get the powder out. You need to get the front unburied. Mm-hmm. Get your skis on top of the powder. Yeah. A lot of times... Rolling can, the machine over back back upright if it's tipped. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And especially the newer ones. Mm-hmm. You know, the bigger, the older, heavier ones, a lot of times it would just dig it out from underneath the front. Right. Yeah. That's all you can do. Because that thing do, weighs 600 yeah. pounds or right. whatever it weighs, right? Um, you, you you get that dug out. Sometimes even with the newer, the newer ones, depending on where you're at, you just dig it all out. And you just got to be able to create a place where there's not the... Uh, drag in the front mm-hmm. and a lot of the places that drag happens is because as you go up and as soon as that track buries itself in all of a sudden the underside of the main uh carriage of mm-hmm. that sled and the main chassis is all of a sudden pushing against snow right Whereas when you're on the flat trail it's just your skis sitting on top of the snow yeah now there's snow pushing against all of that so just like it's like high centering mm-hmm. your skis bury a little so you dig all that snow out and, you know, a lot of times you end up just digging a path and it can take you a while. Yeah. And guess what? We talked about bibs with the jacket. You shed that jacket. You start <laughs> yeah. unzipping. You get your hat off. You get your gloves off and you're Absolutely. just sweating. Um, and you dig it all out. And then it really helps when you have an extra guy there. Mm-hmm. Because somebody can hit the throttle and push on the handlebars and somebody can grab the back and push. A lot of times grabbing the back and moving it over to some snow that's not disturbed. Yep. Picking up the track and setting it on some undisturbed snow. Yeah. If you got enough guys, you know, grabbing the skis and turning them the direction you need them to turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, and you just, and you keep working at it. You keep, you get it to a spot where you think it might move and then you push it with everything you got and mm-hmm. you hit the throttle a little bit. And if it starts to bury itself again, well, you stop, you yep. dig more before yeah. you bury it really bad. <laughs> yeah. And you just keep working at it and you'll get it out eventually. Yeah. And that's just, if you get buried in a lot of powder, even not in a ditch, it's the same thing. You just got to shovel yourself a ramp out. Yep. Now, with uh, the shovel thing, um, one that that I've came to, okay. to carrying with me is uh, it's I just had to look it up, but it's the Remco uh, one piece shovel. Okay, um, I really like those because they're they're a single piece, so there's nothing to break apart inside there. Um, it's basically one full cast piece of like this plastic oh, yeah, reinforced. Those, yeah. They're they're really great shovels. If you're anywhere in Alaska near an AIH, they sell those there. Mm-hmm. Um, they they probably sell them at, at a bunch of different stores. But uh, they have like everything from like a 14 inch version, to like a full length, what you'd shovel your roof off with yeah. version. Um, but those things have come in real handy. They're they're super lightweight. You can just tuck them under whatever cubby you're able to uh, bungee cord it to, and they just kind of hang out there until you need them. Yeah. Um, so that that's what what I use. Um, but what you'd mentioned about having to lift the the back of the of the machine up and, mm-hmm. and move it over into to fresh snow that's undisturbed and just kind of work your way out of there. Um, we had talked about the power difference between machines, right? You know, in different different engine types, different mm-hmm. power ratios, different CCs, things like that. 
Um, what's the weight difference look like between, let's say, that 550 and like an 850 or something like that? Like how much difference? Because one thing that can be a factor if you're going to be mm-hmm. shopping for a machine is, you know, are you going to be alone or are you going to be right. riding with people? Is there going to be anybody there with you when you get stuck? So like, I don't have a ton of experience in the weight difference between all those motors. I believe the mm-hmm. 550 is definitely a little bit heavier. Is it? Yeah. Um, cause it's, it, you know, it's more designed, like I said, for longevity and just going, mm-hmm. uh, I may be wrong. It might be real similar to like the 800 or 850s. Mm-hmm. A lot of your weight on your sled though, isn't so much your motor as it is the sled itself your the, wide track around it you've yeah. got what, four extra inches of track right with mm-hmm. right your long wide track long track right? yeah or long track wide track so that's like, more metal more more track more, more everything. everything you, you got yeah. those big wide the expeditions and the titans i was talking about mm-hmm. those are your heaviest sleds now granted those are also supposed to be able the ones that float right and have a better time of not having to get stuck mm-hmm. and hey the titan you can get a winch right like, yep <laughs> if you have anything to winch to, that's not a lot of times you don't. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure somebody's got some kind of snow anchor, right? But, um, you know, that's, that's typically, I think the weight has a lot more to do with the actual design of the sled mm-hmm. than it does of the, uh, of the motor itself. Yeah. Gotcha. So, which makes perfect sense. I mean, you got to think that's, that's the majority of, right. and especially if you're moving that part of the sled, mm-hmm. that's really what you want to consider. So, um was, definitely oh go for it i would say i would say the one thing coming off with all this mm-hmm. is getting stuck in motors uh belt mm-hmm. sleds are belt driven centrifugal belt uh centrifugal variable transmission mm-hmm. cvt right you got cars with that now right i don't like the i don't like it in a car i don't think it belongs in a car but hey whatever <laughs> um my wife had one and the belt blew up so you know that's a, <laughs> um but that aside in a snow machine, which I think is where they've been the longest, um, you've got a belt that drives the machine. And it's a great design. It's worked really well for a long time. But when you get stuck like that, a lot of times your track, especially in springtime or mm-hmm. just a really warm summer day where you have snow, we call rotten snow, which means it's starting to melt. Right. It's sticky. It sticks to stuff. It's heavy. Yeah. Or you end up with an overflow on a lake. Yep. And what when if that track wanting to spin, a lot of times people will just if you start to get a truck stuck or something, a lot of times instead of gunning it, you just give it just enough gas to turn the tires without slipping. Right. Mm-hmm. Same with a wheeler. Well, you might try to do that with a snow machine, but the big issue with a snow machine is you'll start to do that, and all it will do is burn your belt. Because it starts yeah. to, sp- because the clutch starts to spin on the belt, but it's not quite gripping it enough to grab it. Yeah. So you've got to be careful. If you start hearing a whine, mm. or you start smelling burnt rubber, yeah, stop. Right. Yeah, stop. <laughs> yeah. The thing to do is to hit. You just kind of got to hit it a lot of the time because mm-hmm. you start to go too slow. Sometimes you're fine. That'll get you right out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and it's actually the same thing for a lot of belt-driven wheelers. You get into a real bad, boggy situation, especially if you're pulling a trailer or something, you'll start to hear that belt whine or squeal um, while you're throttling and you're not moving. Mm -hmm. You know what's going, you know, it's like, all right, well, I either got to hit the gas or I got to get some stuff out of the way so I'm not burning my belt. And same thing goes for a sled. And most people actually carry a spare belt. They're not that hard to swap in the field. 
you don't want to have to do it. Right. But you know, they're, they're not that hard to swap, but a, mach- a wheeler is much more work to do. You can usually lift the, lift the hood on a sled and mm. pop the belt cover. And you know, you usually have to move the sled to be able to, or at least get the track to turn. Yeah. But, um, that's an important thing is you don't want to burn your belt up just by. Yeah. Cr- create a lot more work for yourself, a right. lot more time out right. there. And hopefully you have a replacement if you do. Right. Because <laughs> most of them come with a spot for a replacement. Mm-hmm. Some of them come with a replacement. A lot of times on top of the belt cover, there's a replacement snapped right there. Nice. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. A lot of the, I know most of the older sleds had them. I, and I have seen it on some of the newer ones. Okay. They have a sp- special spot for that belt. Yeah. I had a, there was one machine I rode. The, uh, there's a belt in the machine. Mm-hmm. Like it were, you know, the machine wouldn't go without it. There was a belt on top of the, cover mm-hmm. and there was another belt like in the, under the seat like it came with a, some extra belt so we just put them everywhere on the machine right yep <laughs> all right well that is uh a lot about getting stuck a lot about getting out so let's take a quick break and we'll go into some terrain features all right folks we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, we've covered a lot of different terrain features. Mm-hmm. A lot of which pertaining to trail. Right. Um, some of the things you might come into contact with while you're in the backcountry have a little bit more technical writing ability. So I'll ask you about a couple of those okay. specifically um, that people are most likely to encounter. One would be riding over bodies of water, um, right. whether it's a river, um, yep. a big remote lake. Um, and especially, so th- there's an aspect to that where it is powder mm-hmm. over a body of water where there's danger, but especially if you see overflow, mm-hmm. you know, how to navigate overflow and things like that. If you're, if you're in a situation, maybe you have to get to the other side right. for whatever reason. Um, go into a little bit about that with, with riding over water. Okay. So most of the time on a lake, mm-hmm. except for inlets and outlets, when you're into the heavy winter and you've got enough snow on the ground, you're riding a sled. Typically, if there's snow on top of that lake, you can ride a sled You're over pretty it. Pretty safe. You're usually safe. Yeah. You know, and if you've got a doubt, ride over it and don't stop on the lake. Mm-hmm. Okay. That thing's moving. It's not really letting that weight sit on it. Yeah. When you let the weight sit, you can have an issue. Now, overflow you can see is not really that dangerous because you can see it. Right. It's the overflow you can't see. Um, and... A lot of the times that's the case because it's dark and you don't see it till you're in it or yeah. right on top of it. Yep. Because all it is is a slight color change in mm. the snow, right? Because it's wet. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I said in the last episode, talked about overflow for a moment. Overflow happens when 
you get a lot of snow. The weight of the snow causes the ice to sit it go into the water. A little crack in water will come up through. Yeah, through those through, cracks. Through the cracks because yep. of that displacement. Yep. And so then it'll soak into the snow. Um, so, you know, you come after overflow happened and you come like a week later, usually it's frozen through mm-hmm. and you're just riding over ice. Yeah. Right. On top of the, on top of the snow, if it hasn't snowed again. Um, but what you end up with when you ride into overflow mm. is you end up, you, you ride in and all of a sudden your machine feels bogged down mm-hmm. and coming into like something like that 800, you're going to be able to get into that and you're going to be able to hit the gas and you're going to squirt right through it. Yeah. 550, the 900, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. Depends on how much weight you're pulling. Depends on a lot of things. Depends on how fast you notice it. Right. You ride into that overflow and stop. Um, a lot of older sleds, you'd ride into overflow. And if you didn't have it pinned, mm-hmm. you sometimes wouldn't get out. You'd right. end up stuck somewhere in the middle. You'd have to tip the sled up on the slide side or just dig out the overflow for it because it'll get up inside the track. Mm. And it's just so heavy it bogs the machine down and then you end up burning up the belt. Yeah. So you dig a bunch out and then you go riding again mm-hmm. until you had to stop and dig a bunch out and ride until you get out of the overflow. Um, so like I said, so it's more when you end up in overflow, what to do. Mm-hmm. And that is hit the gas, try to get out. Then depending on where you're at and what you're doing, if you're camping nearby or your truck's nearby and you're headed home, oh, so it was this way. Not if you're camping. If your truck's nearby and you're headed home, you don't have a whole lot to worry about. Right. Especially if you can pull your trailer into the garage with a sled on it. Now, if you don't, if you cannot do that, mm-hmm. um, if you've got to park your sled soon, whether it's on a trailer or at your camp, and you're not going to be able to get it, it's going to happen. If you leave that thing like that, all that overflow is going to freeze inside that track. Yeah. And you're not going anywhere. Yeah, that water, that that, it, that melted water that just got right. spread all over. Well, it's slush is yeah. what it is. And you yep. end up with all that slush packed in there. And it doesn't ever start to thaw out anymore. It right. just freezes in place. Mm-hmm. Something you can do to help is if you've got a good machine that can handle a little bit of powder, um, which you need because you've got a lot of extra weight at that moment, is you go hit some powder. Yeah. Whether it's on the, usually the edge of a lake will have a lot of powder. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just start, you just ride that and you ride a bunch of powder and it'll dry out that overflow and it'll suck it out, it suck will. a lot of the moisture out of it. Um, if you can't do that, you get back to your camp, tip that machine on its side and dig as much of that overflow out as you can. Mm-hmm. Dig it out, shovel it out, use your hands. Yeah. It's not fun. No. I've, I've it's going it. to be cold. I've done it, but get that overflow out of there and then ride mm-hmm. and then get on it and then go ride a little bit and ride. If you can, you know, if you don't have a bunch of powder, just ride somewhere with a little bit of loose snow. Mm-hmm. Cause once again, you want to suck the moisture out of it. Right. Um, if you have a garage you're riding to, if you have, like I said, if you have a trailer, you can get, you're going to ride right onto, you know, it's not right. that big of a deal. You're just going to have a mess, but you know, yeah, you know, it is what it is. It's wintertime in Alaska. We get, we have snow <laughs> in garages up here. Um, <laughs> that's overflow is one of the biggest things you can run into, especially if you're out in the middle of nowhere Yeah, and you hit that and you need to take, you need to take care of it as quickly as you can. Yeah. The, the only other thing I would see, or I would say as a a thing to look out for, for new riders when they're Mm -hmm. on, like, especially rivers is protruding objects because the, the ice doesn't always melt or it doesn't always freeze in a perfectly flat, um, Right. Plane. Or right. A lot of, times, a lot of logs. times. 
you'll get you know ice that breaks apart and then mm-hmm. pushes up and then refreezes. Right. Now you've got it like a little ice ledge there. You've got to watch out for. And then yeah, you've got debris in the rivers that can that can freeze, sticking up out of the yeah. ice, logs. Um, People have anything. been found impaled on logs sticking out of rivers because they were yeah. riding along. They went around a turn, they went over a dip, and there's yeah. no machine went on without them, and they were left hanging, impaled on. Yep. I've heard the stories uh, on the stick or the log hanging out of the that, sticking out of the ice, and that's a horrible, it is horrible thing to happen. And the other thing with rivers, there, there's that, there's there's the logs, there's the, the other thing with rivers is the ice is changing constantly. Yeah, the thickness of the ice is changing constantly. Mm-hmm. Personally, I may ride a river to get somewhere. I do not stop on that river. Yeah, I'll, I may ride onto it. I may ride around. I know I've heard of guys. I heard somebody cross the Tanana one year, and. uh he said he was crossing and everything was fine. And, um, but all of a sudden he like hit a bunch of powder. I was like, man, and he hit the gas and mm-hmm. powered through it and uh, got out and, you know, was riding for a while. And I think he had, you know, was from Fairbanks side to the other side and was riding around and he came back and he ended up crossing around the same area and he crossed the same area and realized all that was, was deep snow. There wasn't ice under the mm-hmm. snow there. It Yo. was just water soaked up through the, you know, if there was, I, you know, it was just like really was, deep and like he thought it was just powder. Right. But it wasn't just powder. Yo, danger, yep. danger, Will Robinson. And, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hey, he, he was fine. Yeah. He, he made it. And, and that's a lot of those situations. You just you get into it. If you don't know what's happening, your machine's bogging down. Mm-hmm. If you can hit the gas, hit the gas, get out of there, get off that river, get off the lake. Yep. Get to, onto a hard trail where you can take care of things. Yeah. Well, and, and and I've seen videos, luckily I've never been in this situation personally, but I've seen videos of guys when they're crossing stuff and, mm-hmm. and they hit that patch where the ice is super thin and that track will break through. And right. they're basically just pushing, pushing, keeping their skis yeah. in front of the ice break, basically is all they're doing until they hit shore. So something I used to do as a kid mm-hmm. or teenager was, um, of course, in the sleds we were doing it with, we're not good for it, but we could get them just fast enough. <laughs> um, there was, in the springtime, there's there's a gravel pit. There's a hill, and behind that hill, it's not there anymore. There's it's been developed. That area's been developed. Mm-hmm. But behind that hill, there was always this pond that was maybe I don't know, fifty yards long mm-hmm. by twenty thirty yards wide, and it was decently three four feet deep in the middle spots. Yep. But there'd still be snow on the ground, but it's break up, so there there that would be full of water. Yeah. So we'd get down there, and we'd hide. We'd learn to hydroplane across that fifty yards <laughs> yeah. of water. You know, it was yeah. deeper. It was fun. You know, the, bigger it was the better right right <laughs> but i one time hit it not fast enough because you got to especially with the older machines you had to hit it and you had to hit it fast and <laughs> yeah. yet to maintain it one time i felt it i was crossing and i felt it start to um just sink on start you. to go down because yeah. i was losing momentum so i just <laughs> hit my skis hard to the to the closest bank right and as soon as i started to really sink i hit the kill mm-hmm. man, you can turn in the water you look up some of these guys riding slides on top of the water oh yeah it's insane they're oh. like hitting jumps and right <laughs> all this stuff but i was able to turn the water and when i by the time i hit the power kill switch it like was in just shallow enough water that it didn't suck anything <laughs> nice. and like drug it up a little bit started it back up and rode out but yeah <laughs> um not a situation you want to be in miles no, from your truck <laughs> no yeah. and while it's a fun thing you can do when you're not in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. um that is there are guys that cross rivers up here yeah over open water oh sure especially if they have the sleds that can do it mm-hmm. and the, the experience. track lines or hunting <laughs> yeah. or whatever they're doing mm-hmm. right 
And that's, you know, and most of the time because they're prepared and they're cautious about it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that won't do a certain thing. There's people that won't ride a river Mm -hmm. because they just don't believe it's worth the risk. Right. You know, and the reason though for the, you know, the reason that risk seems to exist is so high is because of all the fools or people who do it without being informed, Mm -hmm. without realizing there's logs that could be sticking up out of that river. There's thin spots, all this stuff. When you're prepared for that stuff and you think about it before you go and you're, and you're looking for it and you're looking for the signs, right? Right. Um, another thing with water, there's a lot of sloughs mm-hmm. and most of the time you're fine, but there's a lot of times you're going to see places where there's like snow and no snow because there's overflow. Well, usually where there's no snow, usually that's where you're fine because mm-hmm. it's overflowed, the snows, for, but, and then you see snow in a spot. And um, I've walked across like sloughs and swampy areas and where there was snow, there was like half an inch of ice, if that, and it just right. popped, walked right, fell right through it. Where there wasn't snow, it was hard as a rock, be- yep. well, hard as ice, you know, <laughs> and thick, <laughs> right. because, you know, and because that snow was insulating and there was enough heat coming off that water underneath, when mm-hmm. I say heat, you know, it was 35 degrees instead of, you know, whatever, but yep. it was just enough to keep it from freezing, you know. From, from icing up down there. Well, because snow has an insulating factor as much as anything, so... It has a lot of insulating factor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely be careful when you're out on... If you're going to be riding snow machines over wa- bodies of water. Right. That, it, it, can be, it can be a great access, but it, it can also be very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of factors to look at. Um, the last one I'll ask you, okay. the most common other feature I'd say people are likely to get into is steep. 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 Especially caribou hunters, things like yeah. that. If they end up, if they do end up shooting one down, in the down hole. in the hole somewhere, you know, they have to go down and get it. Um, what kind of technical writing are they looking at going down and coming back up, trying to get, okay. let's say, a whole caribou mm-hmm. up? You know, is it something you would do, let's say, in one go, strap that thing onto a otter sled it's behind? It's going to depend on the sled, yeah, on the machine, right? Yeah, I will say before you do that. When you're out there, even if you're an experienced rider on trails, mm-hmm. take your sled and ride. Find some steep stuff to ride close to town off a trail with the powder. Get an idea of what it can do, what it can handle. Mm. Right? Be if you familiar can gun with it, your machine. If you can gun yeah. it and ride up that hill and you don't feel lag, probably pretty good. Yeah. You try to gun it and ride up that hill and you barely make it, mm-hmm. quarter at a time on your back, buddy. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, um, Ride it ahead of time. You know, riding downhill, no great skill. Like, yeah. It's very easy to do. Yeah. You point and you go as long as you don't turn real hard. Even if you do, turn while you're on that hillside. As long as you throw your weight in the right direction, usually you're fine. Mm-hmm. Getting down there is not the problem. It's getting back up. Right. And typically, especially if you have a machine that doesn't like the powder or the hills, starting at the bottom of the hill and trying to just go isn't going to ever happen. Mm-hmm. You got to have some kind of flat plane or some kind of drop that's enough, gradual enough that you can get some speed. Gain some momentum. Gain some momentum that yeah. you can hit that with, that you can maintain and climb up it. Yeah. Right? Yep. That, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Because, yeah, otherwise you're just going to do exactly what we said earlier right. and just bury, your, bury right. the back end of that wheeler or the, that machine in. Well, and, so. that's where, and that's where you're going to risk burying it in this case. Mm-hmm. But you hit that thing with enough momentum and you just throttle it blast through it yeah. because you might start to dig in 
there's a real good chance it's just going to grab and go. Like, yep. Because if you don't throttle it, then you're going to get stuck. Exactly, yeah. Um, good example is I used to ride, there was a, like the same gravel pit as a teenager, we'd ride all over, right? Mm-hmm. And there was that hill, and but there was a bank on the side of the gravel pit that was like, you know, six, eight feet high. Mm-hmm. And then it flattened out where there was like a wheeler track that went across, and then it went up the hill. So yeah. there was like a six, eight feet wide spot, six, eight feet high, six, eight feet wide. Depending on the area, it could be three, four, mm-hmm. to six, eight. Um, steep bank, uh, trail, hill. And when we'd get a big snow, I love to hit that steep bank and jump it and like jump that gap up to the hill. Now, once again, I was riding an old sled, mm-hmm. but I'd hit that. And then there were times I'd hit that and I'd be stuck right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if I hit it with enough momentum and with that throttle pinned, usually it would dig itself out before it dug itself down. Gotcha. If that makes sense. It's kind of the, it's kind uh, of a, the embodiment of when in doubt, power out. <laughs> just send it. Yeah, just send it. Just going to send it, right? Are you guys, you guys silly? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense, honestly, because there are a lot of instances where you will grab a little bit lower. Yeah. And if you don't, you were stuck anyway. So it's, exactly. it's, it's kind of one of those things exactly. where what's the worst that's going to happen? And you dig yourself out or you get turned around and get back down and you try again. Yep. Right? Exactly. Yep. Or if you almost make it to the top, well, then maybe you dig the front out and you try to get it over the top. But then you're <laughs> yeah. probably going to be unhooking that sled of caribou and hauling it up by hand mm-hmm. to rehook it back up to your machine once you get back up somewhere where you're either on like some, some wind blown or something, right? Yeah. Which it's, is when it's really nice to be out there with a buddy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I've done I've done that. Yeah. Exactly that situation. A little bit steeper, not mm-hmm. super steep, but just enough and enough powder that I barely yep. barely made it through. And like, oh, we have to unhook the sled now and get the machine out and turn around and try to hook back up or hook it up to somebody else's machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who, who who's a little more it's just a little more capable. Yeah. And yeah, I mean that's just so much of it just comes down to experience. And yeah. if you really want to know what your machine's gonna do. Take a take your jet sled or whatever you got behind your machine, hook it up to um, put some weight in it, mm-hmm. and hit some hills. Yeah, somewhere around town, something you can do, something easy to ride. Yeah, and just figure out how it responds and how to ride and get that experience in. Yeah, real world experience. Something else that you could try in that situation. And I haven't personally done this, but I spent a month in Point Lay mm-hmm. for in a winter, and we went out at one point and did some riding. And they run their sleds differently. They're pull behind sleds. Typically, we run a hard hitch, mm-hmm. right? Got a piece of steel or, you know, an A of steel coming and attaching to a hitch where it pivots. Yep. Um, which in, with what we do up here, most of the time, that's what we need. But up there, because there's no trees, it's just tundra. Yeah. They will hook like 50 feet of rope to, that, to the front of that sled. Mm-hmm. I've seen that too. And just ride. Yeah. You know, or maybe a little short, depending on what they're doing and where they're at. But, mm-hmm. And what, that ha- what happens with that is, usually by the time they've climbed that hill, they're not even hardly pulling that weight mm-hmm. up that hill till they're over it. Right. Right. And, I, and, and it actually may work really well in that situation with that caribou. Yeah. Where you get that momentum, you get up over the hill, and then grabs the rope and tugs it right over once you're up onto some harder ground yep. or something. And, and you got to think by the time that, that weight, that added weight hits the bottom of the hill and you start going up. Let's say you're growing up quite a ways. Mm-hmm. You've already got the you've momentum. Got your you're momentum already, and you should be able to just power through. Yep. You're, you're already grabbing, grabbing gears and heading up. So, right. So even if you don't normally run that way, mm-hmm. um, my dad used to design 
his, uh, he would build his own hitches for those sleds because mm-hmm. they come with a design where it hooks into the, just below the top of the front mm-hmm. and a couple pins. But the problem with that is you can't, your hitch can't really fold underneath. It can't really fold over the top. It's just out front. Gotcha. He would design it. He'd put a couple steel rails across the top and design the hitch to pivot on the front of the top of the outside so it could flop back over on top. Okay. So if you did something like that, mm-hmm. and then you could make it so that maybe you would normally tow it in that way, but you have 100 feet of rope with you or something. Right, yeah. And you have some kind of hookup for that where you can flop that hitch over the top, get it out of the way so it's not grabbing the snow, mm-hmm. flop down, right? And then you can tie that to the front of your sled to get it up out of that spot. Absolutely. I, I'm a genius. Be able, be- <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, part of, part of, uh, Success out there is just mm-hmm. being, being that way, being able to change your plan right. to whatever situation you're you're put in front of at that exact moment in time, and, and just problem solve. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it's problem solving on the fly. So, right. all right, guys, well, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, hopefully, we answered some questions. If you're uh, if you're a, a first timer up here for the winter and trying to get out there on a sled, mm-hmm. um, if you, I'm sure there's more situations people will find themselves in. Maybe some more questions people will have if you have any of those definitely reach out to our social media if you search at the northern hunter on either facebook or instagram you will find us there um if you want to contact us through email then go to the website thenorthernhunter.com and we have a contact button there you just fill out a little bit of information that'll get get a uh, message emailed to us and we'll respond to you as fast as we can um and while you're there if you wouldn't mind going to the shop page we got some great merch options there we got hats hoodies t-shirts more stuff always coming down and our partners page is right next to that um, we're some great companies they make awesome gear um, have decided to support what we're doing we hope you guys do too um, sub- subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it share it with your friends yep. I'm sure there's a lot of people that know know people that uh, could use some good information about hunting in Alaska and uh, a rating goes a long way that really helps the, uh, the algorithms and helps us reach more people and, right. and, and get the information to those who need it so Hopefully you guys are all going to be safe. Uh, Hopefully we hope you get some planning done. So until next week, get out there, get after it. Good luck. We'll see you there. Alright folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.